And I get very angry when people make money off artists, young artists. It makes me very angry. Those are the people we should be supporting. Those are the people we should really be teaching, giving them the knowledge of the tools, how to use the tools, and on right on down the list. That was an unexpectedly not well that's the wrong way to say it it, w- it went on longer than I thought it would because I thought he'd kick us out after a bit but it, it was just it escalated into a very interesting conversation I think he he could potentially have gone on much longer and I would have happily just sat there engaged in the conversation yeah it was amazing we had an amazing chat with Don Lanning but like you say it was late by the time we finished it like about 10, 10.30 or something so it was Close. like we've got to go because we've got to pack because we're leaving and uh, and he was tired I think he had a long day so but it was amazing it was frantic weekend yeah it was awesome so yeah so this is Don we talk sculpting and I tried to remember the questions I wanted to ask him about I mean I did I did ask but it was quite hard to think because he just go off on tracks that were well interesting well, and I wanted to listen share, to him and we I, share some common ground with the uh, with the teaching yeah so it was a a great sculpting philosophical treatise yeah and what it's like teaching yeah it was amazing and I had these questions which I did ask but I just I just remember being very like ah and then just like being like taken away with these other new things that he brought up that I didn't think about it was it was amazing no was I would I would time. I would look away from Don every now and then and look at you I was just looking you, at him. you were just in a <laughs> trance <laughs> yeah he has that effect he does he, he really speaks from the heart thank you Kate yeah, so we're on our way to the airport, so you're going to keep hearing little uh, interruptions from Kay there. But that's fine. You know, it's it was it was an amazing chat. So, listen, enjoy Don Lanning. We certainly did. That sounded wrong. Um, but, yeah, suck it up. It was amazing. But it was so right. Grab your sculpting tools, uh, put your headphones on, and just give yourself some time to listen to this, because I think, I don't know, it was just pure gold for me. Remember the power of the X. <laughs> We started talking about it just before we sure. hit, we hit record. You know why we do what we do, and you know how how jazzed I was watching the Stan Winston video with you yeah, and the power you. of the X. Yeah, it's you know it's not only tone of voice, but it's how you explain things. You know, because right. to me, the why you do something a certain way right. is more important even than how you do it. Right. Because there's more than one way. Why? Why this technique and not this technique in this particular instance? Right. Right. But your enthusiasm is so infectious. I could just watch yeah, you do yeah. this all day long. And Stuart and I talked on the way over over here that you know about why we teach. What, sure. What it is about it. You know, I wish I didn't like it as much as I do because it certainly doesn't pay as well as, as <laughs> yeah. some things do. Yeah. But I actually teach for really selfish reasons. Me too now. Because, now tell me some of yours. Because I get off on seeing people get excited about the stuff that excites me. Right, right. That, that somebody actually learns anything from what I'm expounding. Sure, sure. It's just icing on the cake. Ain't it the truth. Ain't it the truth. I got to tell you, I'm going to tell you one of my first encounters with teaching. Um, well, 
I should tell you my whole experience in special effects has been about me. Me, 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 right? Building the book, what have you. I got uh, I covered for a friend over at Cinema Makeup. This was about five or six years ago. And I got into this big class. They had overfilled the class a little bit, no problem. And it was a maquette class. And everybody was very excited, very enthusiastic. And I had a young lady who was uh, Australian. And she let me know in, uh, know in certain terms, I'm really here. Uh, my parents wanted me to come here. I don't really care much about this or you or any of this ah. stuff. And so I took it as a challenge because uh, I, I got a very healthy ego. It took me about two days of showing her the basics of getting the forms up. But I showed her like a Rick Baker thing of having a worm travel under the skin. And so she sculpted this thing out. The eyes were kind of bug-eyed and a little strange. But within uh, two or three days, I had this young lady walking around brandishing the sculpture, saying, look what I did. Look what I did. And at that time, I had been listening to Joseph Campbell, who had taught at Sarah Lawrence for 35 years. Mm -hmm. And he talked about how, keep in mind, I never thought of anything like this. He talked about how uh, when being a teacher, you could be in the room with a, a child, or in this case, an art student, and how you maybe could light a path for them, maybe say something, and how Joseph Campbell sometimes could see the spark jump up in a student's eyes. Mm-hmm. And he thought to himself, maybe I've helped this person, maybe I've changed the course of their life. Anyways, this is kind of what happened in this little art class over at the Wiltern Theater. And so I got it. I got something different than what I was used to. I was used to getting the job, taking the photographs, moving on to the next job, and grinding and grinding. And here I I felt like I had done something for a child, Mm -hmm. for a young lady. Now, once again, I don't know if she hung on to that. But if she did, maybe I changed the course of her life. Maybe I contributed to somebody else. This was so joyous for me, and I know you know what I'm talking about because I know you were educated for a long time. Stuart and I have these conversations off mic (laughs) all the time. Uh, We've we've been talking since we've been here about how do we... I I had this idea of art triage. (laughs) Yeah. Just because, you know, we have some of the classes I've taught, some of my sculpture classes in particular, um, in a room that's geared for 24 students, which is an enormous class for a sculpture class. When enormous, you, When yeah. you need one-to-one. Yeah. I'd routinely have 30, 32 students yeah, in, that's in a that lot class. Of students. It's, it's insane. So Ooh. it's too big for everybody to see me doing a demo. Right, right. Um, it's, and it's the classic bell curve. You've, yeah. got, you've got a few people on this end that are going to be outstanding. Yeah, yeah. You've got the majority are going to be... Yeah. Average at best. Right. And then you've got some that, why are you here? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and and some out of out of somewhere in this in this curve, somebody has never touched clay in their life. Right. But has something they don't know they've got. Right, right. And I have seen some extraordinary things happen with sure. kids that have never touched clay in their lives. Yeah. And I'm going, oh my God. This kid's channeling Bernini. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you do see it. Uh, but I, how do you, how do you, you know, everybody's paying the same amount of money to right, be there. Right. Some of them want to be there. Right. But you can't, with 30 students, you can't give right. everybody the amount of time in class that they need. Yeah. How do you, how do you figure out which ones to save and yeah. which ones to yeah. just... I answered that question by doing smaller classes. Burger King Mm. applications. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I I found that over a certain amount of students, it becomes dissertation. And uh, I want to talk to you guys a little bit later about my personal classes. This is a great example where 
uh, I have a cap on it of about six students so that we have quality time. And uh, God, I want to talk to you about something because uh, uh, I've had great success with this. And we're talking about it right now in a sense. Uh, uh, not prejudging students. Uh, talking about finding the gold in the room. Uh, I don't prejudge anybody. I don't limit anybody with clay. And by doing that, and by offering like a 20-inch tall maquette, or if you've never sculpted anything before, let's do a full head, a wed clay head. Uh, this has turned out to be uh, uh, brilliant for me because I stand next to a child that's never done it before, a young artist that's never done it before, and they can do it. Mm-hmm. If you stand next to them and do it through demo and do it through example, and you don't prejudge them and lock them down to four, four blocks of clay, this goes back to like a baby's. Playing the Stradivarius at two, you know. Uh, no one's told them they can't do it yet. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and so uh, if you uh, don't prejudge, something magical can happen. So, mm-hmm. so many of my students are first-timers. Mm-hmm. I want to talk to you more about that later, but excuse okay. me, I didn't mean sure. to. Sure, no. But, uh, yeah. I'm intrigued about the whole process of starting sculpture because I think... A lot of people that want to start, unless if they go to a class, it's one thing. But I'm, I want to address the psychology of sure. of, of, of starting, and and that well, you got that blank canvas syndrome. What I call the blank canvas syndrome. Sure. You, you've got an armature, and it looks nothing like a sculpt <laughs> or the finished thing. Sure. And it's like, where do you start? Where does your head go? Where do you, where does your head go? And where do you think your students' head go? Because you're probably good, best placed Gosh. to pick up the pieces when people go. I right. can't do this. I can't do this. But I guess I mean you've got to start. Right, like, but the, uh, you need a kind of a. Well, sometimes a there's already a, a predetermined outcome that, Concept, you, that yeah. you need that you need to address. But if you are coming in and okay, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. Well, how my, does that how does that start? My gosh, this is a great question, and I want to give you a good answer. And the first thing I can come to is that I'm at different times in life, mm-hmm. my approach my approach is so different. I remember in 97, I'd left real estate and I got my first foothold. I'm a very late bloomer in this business. You're in real estate first. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But uh, at that time, as a young man, uh, my approach to the sculpture was to drink a bunch of coffee and be as nervous and scared as possible. I feel like the whole room's looking at me. Nobody's looking at me. Nobody cares. But I feel like I'm being watched and Howard Berger's in an eye in the sky, you know, uh, <laughs> doing a tight shot on me and watching my hands. None of that's happening. But you feel that way. Mm. And so I used a lot of my nervous energy to overwork and to jam through it. I remember my first maquette for those folks was a fat Bigfoot. And I went over the sink, and I had just met Norman Cabrera, who's one of my heroes. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm, he says, how, how you doing, man? <laughs> like, like, you know how Norman is. The eternal child, God bless him. I said, I'm scared to death, Norman. What am I going to do? He says, don't worry. He says, you'll do it. And he went over and made me a tool, a three-pronged tool. So there I am slamming coffee. And I jam through this Bigfoot. I'm happy to say I didn't have to sculpt or be in the mold shop anymore. Love mold makers out there. But uh, I was a terrible mold maker. And based on that one sculpture and that one chance, I was able to push through. But a lot of nervous energy. Mm-hmm. Now let's jump 10 years ahead. I've been sculpting since I was 10 years old. So now I would come out, and now I'm more of an opportunist. I'm not so scared. I've had some su- success experiences. I sculpted a giant manatee. I know I can sculpt big things, prosthetics. My ego, my healthy ego, 
has improved. So now I'm much more of an opportunist. I'm looking for the cool head cast, for example, on 13 Ghosts. They brought in a head cast, and the guy's head is huge. So I went over, I'm like, you've got to give me this head cast. So I'm looking more for the opportunity. I'm not so nervous. And I'm looking for how can I do the most intense art? How can I freak out the room? Now here comes a beautiful chapter three. We jump 25 years later, okay? 22 years later, excuse me. I'm almost not even looking at the clay anymore. I don't care about clay. I don't care about tools. I've done it. I'm looking at shadow. I'm looking at quality of line work. I don't care about clay. I'm not thinking about the clay. I'm just now, at this stage, I'm not nervous either. I just want good art. And I'm able to go there directly without thinking or ripping at the clay and suffering from that feeling. And all sculptors probably out there will relate to when we're little kids and we first start sculpting, we're ripping and tearing at the clay and saying, do it. Yeah. And it's not doing it. Yeah. We have to go. It's, it's like speaking Spanish. We're speaking French. The more I speak it, let alone under the duress of people's deadlines, the more I do it, the better I become. And I'm here to tell you that part of the joy of being a sculptor for 42 years. My God, it becomes so much better. Uh, I got to tell you a story about one of my contemporaries. I won't even mention his name. I'm at a show and I'm watching this guy do a quick sculpture. And he's a genius. Genius. He reaches down and with body memory, he grabs into a thing of wet clay and he pulls up a piece and puts the nose on. Boom. That's what I'm talking about. The mass of the nose is perfect. This guy doesn't have to think about it. Then he puts pinches on little nostrils. He's done. He's been doing it forever. I know. So, so, you know, he just grabs it and does it. A lot of this happens. As you get older. So the more you speak this language, the more you can speak poetry with it. It's just the same. I, I was born with no talent whatsoever. I had to fight hard to get everything I got. When you're out there, this is a word of advice. Excuse me. See, now I'm rambling. A word of advice to you young sculptors out there. When they put the deadlines on you and you're like appalled. How much time do I have to do this? Say yes to it. Say yes to it. You don't know it at the time, but they're making you strong. They're making you into a demon, a sculpting demon. Say yes to it. Hit their deadlines. Do whatever you got to do. Uh, but still get what you want out of it. Any change I get, I'm still going to make it work for me. I'm still going to get a good picture out of it. I'm still going to be happy with it. But uh, those deadlines, you don't realize that they're making you strong. Yeah, no, I, that, that's sound advice. Yeah, I got off into a tangent there. You know, we're just after Monster Palooza. And I looked in the mirror. I look really tired. But I'm, I think it'll provide a better interview. Oh, I'm, ex <laughs> I'm, ex for, I'm yeah, exhausted, I'm. but we have had such a good trip. You know, yeah, you have. Because you know, Stuart and I do this thing yeah. transatlantically. Yeah, yeah. And for an opportunity for us to be together, yeah. we could not be here for, for the 10th anniversary of Annapolis. Uh, Monster Palooza. And right. No, no, it's wonderful that you guys were here. And uh, just to give you guys a little shout out, this is wonderful stuff to be able to listen to this. I walk in the evenings and I have Balboa Lake over here. And I go over and I, I just now am listening to the podcast and I'm having such a great time with it because I want to continue the discussion. I want to hear you guys uh, talk to some of my contemporaries. I've got a, a lot of stories now bouncing around my head from folks that I've known for years. But I didn't know their personal 
uh, anecdotes and what have you. Mm-hmm. But uh, to put a finer point on it, uh, sculpting does change throughout the years. But the philosophy of it, really, I really gave you the best answer for, for all that stuff. For me, it's changed quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And it, it really becomes more about how can I get a design out? How can I, how can I please the employer? I want to tell you a very romantic thing. When you hire me and you pay my rate, in my mind, I become a knight in shining armor for you. I've turned it, and I want to give you guys this as advice. I've turned it when I was a younger guy, talking about the beginning philosophy. I had a, certainly a different mind, and I had furnished my mind in a much different way. But now I see myself as a knight in shining armor. I see romanticism in that I'm functioning as your hands. Uh, thinking this way allows me to make changes like a guy making a pizza. You know what I mean? You don't want pepperoni, but boom. It makes it easy on me to see myself in this light and uh, to service the account. Uh, I actually love it now. If I have uh, the suits, if you will, and the producer and the director come in, and if the shop owner is kind enough to let me take point, I'll dial through change after change, and then I'll get button downs and and, uh, say, is there any other changes you can do? But I'll take that point. Yeah, I remember you. Uh, I remember from the Stan Winston video, you were very, very positive about, and it, it's, it's, it's not what I've often heard with people, especially when they're starting out. That when changes are made, they're almost kind of like annoyed or reluctant because it feels in their heads that the changes are impeding on their vision. And obviously, yeah, yeah. you're there to service the client. You're supposed to provide the thing. I don't own it. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. that's not because. And I think when people start out, especially, it feels or they and I know this of myself yeah. it feels like you've only got a certain amount of sculptures in you and if you burn through them with them dicking around with changes then it's it almost feels like you're being used up right and what right. you're saying is that's not how it is at all that's not how you're it is constantly at all. producing these things and once you understand that yeah. you kind of chill out on it and relax a bit because it's not my heart is broken for new sculptors i've seen people here comes the boss here comes the client and they'll turn their back to the boss to almost try to physically protect the sculpture mm. no 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 Pull your tools out. I gave Tom Cruise, uh, not to name drop, but I gave him a tool. I said, come on over. He sculpted with me for 20 minutes, put the tool down and said, no, thank you. Great. Invite them in. Uh, if you give me five changes and he gives me two, I'm going to make it work for you and for me. Uh, and that's the attitude to take. Well, I, My think, fr- I think part of it is also being open to, you know, when I, when I get hired to do to do a theater character sure you know or or for film whatever right. whatever it happens to be right you know i'm letting them know right from the get-go that i'm gonna show them things even if they can't come come to the studio or see it personally i'm gonna send them photographs and show them every step of the way so Absolutely. that we can make changes early enough to yeah. not affect a deadline that is already locked in stone <laughs> that's not gonna yeah, change yeah 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 that's right uh, yeah. So, so that they feel comfortable, that they they know they can trust me to make what I'm creating for them what they want it to be. You are in service. Yeah, I'm. You are in it's, service. It's not. It's, yeah. It doesn't belong to me. I'm That's doing right. the work, but I'm doing it for somebody else, and it needs to be what they need it to be. And if you'll allow me to put a finer point on that, sure. It's okay for you. <clears throat> it's okay for you to do a change and say, "Would you like another change?" Would you like another change? 
you, the suit, or whoever is there, who's ever involved, would you like a change? Are there any other changes here? Yeah, Don, we want you to change the jaw. We want you to do this. Great. Let me have you go take a tour of the shop. Please come back in 20 minutes. Sounds aggressive, doesn't it? Come back in 20 minutes, and I'll have the jaw on. Okay? I feel that it's my responsibility to the employer that once again is paying me. It's my responsibility to not let those clients out of the shop. Do the changes live. Have them go walk around and then get them to sign off. Tie them down because they will leave, Mm -hmm. go through email, mess you around. They'll draw you all out. And certainly if the goal is to uh, elongate the job, which it never is, you can do that. But in service... As the sculptor, you have a unique position to go ahead and make the changes and look at the client and say, is there anything else that you'd like? Mm-hmm. No, there isn't. Thank you very much. We're going to move this on to the mold shop. You just helped everybody mm-hmm. from the seamers to the painters to the boss. Mm-hmm. You got the tie down. Not that I'm so manipulative. This comes from sales, I suppose. But I was in sales for 10 years and I use it. I a lot, that's right. A lot of people don't. I think sure. it's right to do that because we, it is a business. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. We have to know the goal. And if they want changes after they've signed off on something, that's right. then you're talking about something entirely different. Oh, gosh. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Uh, I got it. I just went through this a year ago on Lost in Space. Um, we had a design that was all done in ZBrush beautifully. You digital guys out there, you did a great job. This is a gorgeous thing. They come in and they blow up the thing. And it's beautiful, um, but it's kind of, it's locked in. They wanted to grow the head, for example, for $6,000. I said, don't do that. Let me sculpt it for you, and I'll give you 20 changes. I'll give you whatever you need. You don't have to chop up a grown head and try to retrofit it into what it's going to be. So they agree to that, so I sculpt the head. Now here comes the executives from Netflix. Here comes Neil Marshall, wonderful director. I just worked with him on Hellboy. And uh, what a great thing to see him on the first day of that. Anyways, Neil comes in. I don't know it yet, but here comes five show-and-tell meetings. Okay, Within those five meetings, the original ZBrush head is gorgeous, but it's not going to work. Especially when we start fielding changes. Neil wants the jaw changed. He wants a hood system that's going to be able to come forward and take on a uh, menacing aspect and then fold back. All this show business on the side of the head, that's the product of taking changes like a piano player from Neil Marshall, the writers. And once again, I'm not tooting my own horn, but I understand what the mission is. So I take the head through five or six, seven different versions over the course of five meetings until, is there anything else that you can possibly think of? No, we got it. Because the implication then is that <laughs> yeah. you've got a window to make changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this yeah. Is, there's not this endless. Yeah, mm-hmm. here's your here's your cut off. You know, time's yeah. moving. Make your changes. Make your changes, and this is where we stop. Because yeah. we have to. Because it's a workflow. Yeah, there's other yeah. things to happen. Yeah, yeah. And we're servicing the account with great honor, and giving people what they want, so that we can get that thing over the to the mold shop, so we don't uh, hamstring ourselves into yeah. infinity. And we certainly could on that. I want to mention again, by the way, the digital folks did a great job. After telling you that story, uh, it's a bit of a John Henry story in a way, in that I'm a very practical sculptor. I never learned ZBrush. I don't know anything. I envy those folks that are able to develop that. And they developed the whole outline of this beautiful robot. That's theirs. All the little panels and stuff that you see mm-hmm. traveling the length of the body, 
that's theirs, but an old practical guy was able to get the head. Nothing and says real like real. Nothing says real like real, and we were able to turn it into a real gem. I'm so proud because uh, the Internet seems to be blowing up right now with love for that show. Mm-hmm. And uh, i got to mention also Brian Steele. His performance is insane. And thank you to Spectral Motion and the total crew there. I can't mention all that stuff without mentioning those wonderful folks. Um, but, yeah, knowing what the goal is and how to, and how to produce the sculpture, that's one thing. That takes a lifetime of aesthetic and involving yourself in media and getting taste and refining your skills as a sculptor. But remember, you sculptors out there, uh, when you have a client with you, be in service to your employer and everybody in the building and get the sign-off. Get the sign-off. <laughs> I'm being preachy. <laughs> being preachy. But it's an important one. Well, yeah. I have a, an utterly selfish question about the way I sculpt. I wonder if you can bounce off of that. I sculpt mainly appliances and mm-hmm. realistic skin things. I'm not really yep. things like helmets or armor. I haven't done any sure. stuff like that. Sure. When I have a, a rough idea about stuff, I'm not good at conceptual stuff. I don't really draw things first. Kinda, you don't need to. I kind of grab pictures and things. There'll be something in the face of an old dude I like, and I'll take elements of that. Wonderful. And the way I find I do things is I have a feeling in mm. my head about what it would look like. And it'll be like, um, but what I'm doing, I'm trying to find. Right. Where, and it, it, it just falls into place. And I, it is genuinely a feeling. And then what usually happens is it starts feeling more right, and I know I'm going the right place. It's just like I'm, I'm trying to find it. And then the look that I've got is then the product of, of that seeking. Right. Is that right? <laughs> I think that's right. I think, that, I think that's right. That's Listen, what I do. I, that's I, wonderful. Because I, can, I sounds, can block something out yeah. roughly with clay f- faster than I could draw sure. the same thing. Right. Because it sounds to me like when you sculpt, yeah. and I'm not in your head to know, but it feels like you have a clear idea what it is and it's almost like, you know, having to carry shopping upstairs. It's like, you know, this task, you've got to slap the clay in order to get to that point. But before the clay was there, already there, you already knew what it was going to look like. Whereas I don't. I, I don't know either. by doing it. It's almost yeah. like feeling in the dark with yeah. your hands outstretched, trying to yeah. figure out where the, where the walls are. That's what it's well, like. I love your description because you said it. You're, you're working in makeups and, and things that are activated by the engine, not to sound pretentious, but the engine that is the actor. Yes, they're so the ones supplying the movement. That's right. So yeah. you have a you have a different meditation there. When I'm working on robots and stuff like that, or what have you, uh, big creature stuff. That's certainly one kind of meditation. What you just described uh, eloquently is you've got a head cast, mm-hmm. you've got individual pieces that have to marry into the actor, and have to become part of that actor's performance. Uh, this is one of the great joys in effects. And you said it. You're looking for. Uh, opportunities to marry that in so that it works with the machine, mm-hmm. the machine that's the actor. What a joy. I see this in age makeups. I haven't done an age makeup in a while, but what a challenge to do addition and find a way to bring in wrinkles and cheekbones that uh, compress properly. See, uh, and once again, when you say you're describing little victories there mm-hmm. and then being able to move forward as the gates unlock, those gates, if you'll allow me to speculate on your on your work, uh, uh, once again, you're looking for the thing to hit right, yeah. for it to feel right. Yeah. Isn't it funny? I know you just talked to Steve Wang. We used to say, when I worked with Steve years ago, you can go out to a bus stop, find a guy who never watches movies, uh, doesn't care about any of it. You can bring him into a shop, show him the sculpture, and he'll tell you if it's cool. Yeah. He'll tell you if it's neat. You know cool. And to know cool in realism is quite a feat. 
And I'm familiar with your work, and I know you've had a lot of success. So Thank you. Yeah, you've been doing good. Uh, isn't it interesting? It's a very different meditation. When I work for Jose, I've worked for Jose on uh, the Avengers. And when you're doing superhero outfits, you're kind of pushing your agenda uh, to certainly greet the body or the face. But it's a superhero outfit or something. Uh, the world of makeup, though, is a very different very different animal to me. Do you approach them differently or do you approach them the same way? I do. Like he said, I approach it organically. I I uh, tickle what I think I can afford out of the headcast. I spend way too much time with the headcast. I'm sitting with uh, on Star Trek Beyond uh, the Ryan Reynolds head and I'm looking at the jawbone. And even though it's a back, deep background head, mm-hmm. I'm still thinking about how is this head going to greet the neck how is it going to work? What have you? So, uh, um, I'm sorry, my brain tw- tw- drifted there. Forgive me. That's, right. That's part of the Monster Palooza uh, bonus pack. There, just oh, what were we saying? We we're talking about oh, the difference yeah, in approach. Between approach of, to doing something more me- mechanical. I'm growing it off. Yeah. Growing it's, it off the actor. And addition to the body, whereas this yeah. is this is part of the body. So oh, I, new I got yeah. a good one um, on Star Trek Beyond with uh, with Joel Harlow and company. Um, he brought over a head cast for me, and it looked like Brian Keith. And so I painted it with clay paint and uh, prepared it with the liquid foil. That's an old guy term. <laughs> and uh, I'm looking at Brian Keith. I'm looking at this big jaw. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. Uh, how can I capitalize on this giant jaw? And so there's a brute with little ears high up. We'll give you a picture of that, whatever. Uh, and I took advantage of the jaw. I kept the makeup very thin. I made it work with the actor. But uh, I augmented that jaw. And the whole thing for me initially was about how can I capitalize on that? The guy was so using their, their natural features. Their natural to, features, yeah. To instruct them and inform them. The that's, that's right. And, of course, I in my stuff, for, it seems like I get more fantasy stuff. You know, I haven't been challenged since Nip Tuck with the kind of thing that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Where you're you're stepping into the world of uh, fabricating realism, and there I got I got my I got quite a bit of it. But uh, yeah, I'd love to do some more age makeups. Such a great challenge, right? <laughs> it's funny because with age makeup, I mean, I remember at uh, art college we did um, like a life sculpt of a, of a head in one mm-hmm. year, and then the next year we did a full size figure. Yeah, and it was at that moment for me, I had that. Because you're constructing it from scratch, we welded up the armature and all that kind of stuff, and mm-hmm. then you're blocking it out, and then it was that point where you realize the shoulder, and you're thinking to yourself, I'm sculpting the shoulder blade, or I'm sculpting this, and then then you've got to move down to the chest, and you're kind of working everywhere, and then you start bringing it together, and right. then there's a point where I realized, I remember, I remember it almost as like a tangible uh, um, penny-falling moment, right. where like the elbow becomes... The arm, which comes the shoulder. There is yeah. the we call it the shoulder, the arm, whatever. But actually, yeah. it's a surface that gradually right. traverses into the next bit, and sure. it's like there isn't a single point where one thing stops and the other begins. Mm-hmm. And it's right. with appliances, it is. It does have a definite edge, but it has to finish in a manner in which it belongs to the face it's sitting on. But it also legitimately Truly. makes enough change for it to be worth making it blind that's right otherwise yeah. it could just be a bit of highlight and shadow that's right so it's a real marriage between what you're adding but what's already there and that's what right. you're trying to get to and yeah. you're somewhere in between the two it's a very odd place whereas a helmet is clearly not part of the person right so it's a different thing and in a, in a way I kind of feel not, not jealous of but it's nice to have a thing which isn't supposed to be part of the human body 
it has its own problems. Right, right. But I've never, <laughs> never been moved to do that. I'm, I'm, right. I get very excited about yeah. making something look like it's real skin and just a different person. Yeah, it's. it's yeah. Uh, Sorry, I'm here to talk to you, but I just... No, no, I I, I'm with you. I, I'm, <laughs> preach on, brother. I'm well, with you. I th- I'm, I'm all for you. Well, I think that's, that's why we do it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a problem-solving thing. And, and once again, uh, to go back to an earlier point, uh, these are the problems to have. These are the things to think about. I was teaching uh, recently, and I was telling the, the folks, it's like a these problems, they're like a, the most beautiful Rubik's Cubes puzzle-type puzzles you can imagine what an intellectual adventure to try to get through this kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, it's delicious. Um, you know what? I could. I, I have to be quiet now because that's the answer. It's delicious. It is delicious. It's a delicious pain almost to try well, and once, it, once, it out. once again, you're at your most beautiful. You're using the most beautiful part of your brain and your person. You know, uh, uh, not you personally, but you can have somebody who's a dreadful human being, a difficult hard human being that you don't want to be around but when they're using their brain and they're doing art that person suddenly becomes interesting to me do you get what i'm saying totally yeah uh, i want to tell you out there that anybody that's listening to this that the my quality of life was improved tremendously by taking up art i knew that art was my bliss not to quote joseph campbell again but i knew it the second i got a tv commercial coming out of real estate i was like oh thank god I've been found. I feel it. I want you to know that to have artistic problems, that's heroic if you're solving that. It's been a backdrop for my life that's given me so much. I love this business. I love art. It's the thing to do. Most of our lives are spent sitting in rooms dealing with economic concerns, social concerns, my wife, my children. To put on your music and have fun, sit in the room, warm up the clay, and start solving these problems Mm -hmm. of a realistic age makeup, of a maquette, of a maquette that doesn't just sit on the table and stare at the top of the table, but looks at the client when they walk in the room. It's during these kind of situations that I feel like the life, the movie, the movie camera of life is worrying. Mm -hmm. And this has meaning. This has meaning. I'm going to go in the ground in about 30 years. Hopefully I get that long. I want to spend as much of this time doing something cool and something heroic as possible. For those of you that are listening to this rant, I want you to know I mean everything I'm saying here. You have a chance. You have a chance with your life to do something very special. And I think that art, for a lot of us, if you feel it, boy, if you feel called, drop whatever you're doing. If you're selling insurance or you're doing something and you feel like you're living in somebody else's body, get rid of those clothes. Come on and join us. We're waiting for you. And when you do join us, don't come with a bunch of attitude. We've got a bunch of people coming in the business and have for about 10 years. Come sweet. Come transparent. Let us know that you love movies. Let us know that you love characters and we'll bend over backwards to help you. If you come in nasty or snotty, we're going to get rid of you. But it's, it's the entertainment business. It's supposed to be fun. Yeah. Well, it can be. My God, it can be. And it can also be a tremendous responsibility. Um, for the sculptor's prism, we're looking through the perspective of the sculptor. Um, which I'm a real shop monkey, you guys. I don't have a lot of on-set experience. I have no on-set experience. 
that wonderful being a sculptor, though, because you have the responsibility of land. If the sculpture comes off the table and it's junk, a lot of people are in trouble. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I don't want to minimize our role. We have a great role and a great responsibility to land a good sculpture for well, everybody. It's where, it's where the, the entire character starts. It's where it starts. It's and certainly game. it's going to be carried through through other departments. And uh, But really, you can't move forward with a, a bad sculpt, I feel. So uh, this is a wonderful thing to aspire to. If you think it's sculpting, go chase it. Go get it. Speak the language. Repetition is the key. There's your call to action. That's it. That's it. Wow, I'm preachy tonight. But that's good. That's I mean all that it's, stuff. And uh, It's from the heart. It is from the heart. And uh, we're sitting in my studio now in 2018 after Monster Palooza. And I'm surrounded by toys. And I'm surrounded by you fine gentlemen. And I really do believe that there's something for you. Can I tell you how I got into... Uh, this stuff when I was a little kid. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good story. It's a good story. The pivotal moment for me, <laughs> my folks get divorced when I'm 10. Last thing on earth I want to talk about is these adult problems. So I start doing John Chambers type makeups and, you know, with like mom's eyebrow pencil and gluing, Elmer gluing hair to the back of my hand. Anything to have a discussion that is not what the adults are talking about. So my dad moves to Las Vegas and goes to work at the, in the cage at the Dunes Hotel. And so every summer I go and I stay out with my dad. And one summer my uncle comes out. I guess I'm around. No, I'm 10. 10 or 11. My uncle comes out, Uncle Jerry from New York, my uh, wonderful uh, New York uncle who's a, a stage actor. He comes out and he takes me to a hotel that has a magic store because I'm nuts for magic stores because they always have latex masks. Sure enough, he takes me, takes me into this big magic store, and there's a Cornelius mask up on the shelf. And this was a $60 mask. At that time, now that's a lot of money for a mask. Mm-hmm. $60. So I see Cornelius. I've been living in the world of Planet of the Apes anyways, and I start to eventually start to cry, uh, begging my uncle, I need this Cornelius mask. My uncle says, no, uh, we can't spend $60 on Cornelius. So I'm having a little kid. I wish I was spoiled as a kid. I wasn't. But I needed this holy icon. And I'll never forget it. I want you to visualize Lloyd from The Shining. Because this guy looked exactly like him. He didn't have crazy glasses like Tyrell. That's another movie. But just imagine Lloyd coming across the glass counter. And he says, this is what you need, son. And he holds up uh, in hand calligraphy. On a little white jar, it says, Don Post Liquid Latex. I said, no, I don't want that. I want the Cornelius mask. He opens the thing, puts in some cotton. The guy had some cotton behind the counter, and he lays the cotton on my hand. And it dries, it finally dries. And I'm still pining for Cornelius, but I look at it. Why, this has some miracle properties. Perhaps I can use this in my work. (laughs) <laughs> and so at 10 years old, I go home and I start tearing up my face, building. And then I get, you know, that stinky nose putty, the pink stuff and the, yeah. and the tin with the black lettering on top. And I start sculpting all kinds of stuff. And I'm off into the study of Lon Chaney Sr. Here's a pivotal moment, though. And I, I mentioned Lloyd, the bartender. That guy changed my life. That guy changed my life. Granted, I didn't get into the business until many years later. But it got me on to doing makeups and doing a mask maybe every uh, three months, what have you, for all of my young life, which prepared me to leave real estate and get into all this. 
But I love these the characters. The seed was planted. Yeah, I love these characters that show up and can change your life uh, with very little, you know, a can of latex. I got one more pivotal moment. Can I give you one more? Sure. This is a story of one sculpture changes the course of your life. I mentioned the first maquette that I did for K&B, for Howard Berger. I told him, I can't make molds. Please let me do this. He gives me the thing. I sculpt this little fat Bigfoot, and it's got dimples in the butt, which shows I'm trying. I'm thinking. Alec Gillis comes over from ADI a couple of years later after the fact, and he sees this maquette, and he says, who did that maquette? Oh, a guy named Don Lanning. He goes in Alec Gillis's head. Gillis then <laughs> approaches me, and... My whole life shifts. I go over to ADI for four years over this one sculpture. I'm not overstating it. But once again, isn't it great to have a story where your whole life shifts, boom, and you're off into another direction because of one sculpture. That's the power of sculpture. So watch out for those great opportunities. Be be observant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to pause now and let you guys... Because I just went on another tangent, but I'm enjoying it. Everybody loves to talk about themselves in L.A., and I'm no exception. I I got stuff to say, though. I I hope you get that I do love the business. I can see that. And uh, it's it's the best. That's why we're here. It's the best. I've never actually sculpted a maquette. I've never sculpted a figure. I've only ever sculpted heads and... I've sculpted a full-size body, but the vast majority of things I've sculpted... Appliances and life costs. The cats are wonderful. I've never done a full size. It kind of frightens me a bit. The, the notion. I think what it is is having wire. And I remember buying like the How to Draw the Marvel Way book, mm. and it was the same thing. I couldn't, right. I couldn't. I couldn't lay down lines because once they're fleshed out, they look different from the life. I couldn't envisage the correct skeleton form to end up with the finished result. Hmm. So I couldn't go through that, and I, I think I've just always been a bit nervous about it. I've only done it in relation to classes I've been teaching where it's not geared for toward a suit or a, or right. a, a figure that's going to be molded and cast and something else done with it, okay. in a, either in the original scale or a larger scale, right. just strictly as a demonstration to right. make sure my students understand that you know, in order for us to sculpt something right. that is going to look real... Right. Um, You've got to understand what the anatomy under the skin looks like, how muscles insert on the bones, how how joints work in order to... Because that's going to inform what the outside looks like. Mm-hmm. So when we do maquettes, we basically right. work from the inside right. out. We we build the muscle masses. Right, right. Before, Gosh, I, before we start smoothing I things out. I think that's out. great. Yeah, so yeah. You know, in order to understand how you know skin yeah. wrinkles... Yeah. in direct relation to the pull of the muscle sure. under the skin. So sure. these are the things that we talk about in my sculpture classes. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's how I've done the maquettes. And, and everybody's, Just everybody's a different. a demonstration of what anatomy yeah, is yeah. all about. Yeah. Well, this, everybody has a different approach. Uh, not to sound like a carnival guy, but <laughs> my, my uh, repertoire is all tricks. Uh, I didn't go the route of mapping out the anatomy. I, uh, on the fly, mother of invention, I would, uh, I would just kind of sketch to find stuff, and I would do things like, the base of my skull is parallel through a drop line uh, to my mustache, or just under my nose. 
I, I have an amalgam of strange things. Uh, well, like we're a, at, we are a yeah. wonder of yeah. real ge- of geometry. We are, yeah, yeah, and our minds can do and understanding incredible things. Those landmarks yeah. that we all share, yeah, yeah. Then it's real easy yeah. to put together. A yeah. humanoid character. Oh yeah, yeah. It's interesting you say that because I've, I mean, I've seen people do that where they sculpt a skull and yep. they do the muscles over the top of the skin, and part of me felt like, hmm, that's how you should do it. But I've never, but it's done not. That. It's not the only it's way. Not, it's not the only way. It's not no, the only way. no, it's a uh, well. Gosh, my cats, my god. It, yeah, it's a. Uh, that's what I got to tell you. I was uh, I was self trained. My mother took classes from Bruno Lucchese, he's a famous guy, and I got a little tiny bit of that, but um, there's so many ways to get the job done, and I've often envied people that can go through the meditation or the experience of laying all the muscles and then realize skin over that. I think it's a wonderful thing if you can do it. Um, well, you can do it also by, yeah, you know, yeah. feeling, putting your finger on your certainly, tragus. Certainly. And opening and closing your mouth. This, where your that's tragus cool. is, now, see, that's you where said, the jaw connects. Now, see, you said triagus, and I'm going to share with you the only anatomy term I ever learned. This is the zygomatic arch. I don't know anything. I don't know <laughs> yeah. a goddamn thing about yeah, any just muscles. This little piece of cartilage in the front of your yeah. ear. That's yeah. an interesting point because I've heard of story, you know, of people like they'll recite to me the name and they'll memorize the name of every <laughs> body part, but that doesn't mean they can recreate it. No, or, or modify it. Oh yeah, I, no, I, cool. I, I know, no. I know it by acquaintance, by sight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. No, I've, I've, I'm not embarrassed students, to say that you know, either. Every one of my yeah. sculpture students yeah. has seen a human head, sure. and a human face. Sure multiple times yeah. every day of their life. Sure. But ask them to sculpt a yeah. realistic yeah. human likeness. Yeah. They yeah. they have real trouble yeah, with they do that. have trouble. But you know what's really cruel is if you do a bad hand, you know it's not right. Even though you yeah. might not be able to quantify <laughs> yeah. specifically if what's it's wrong bad, with it. If, yeah. it's you crashed, still see if, it's wrong. if it crashes yeah. you know yeah. you know it's crashed. That's for, I think that's a, way, a lot of the way I deal with a lot of stuff. I know when stuff's crashing. And I know when it kind of fits to together. Out what it is to make it right. What, yeah. what is the corrective course? Yeah, I, I'm really good at that. <laughs> Especially oh if the God. thing you're doing doesn't exist yeah. in reality. Do you hand out McDonald's applications? <laughs> yeah, I do. Oh my God! Uh, I got to tell you a few things about maquettes because I got something to share for your audience. Oh my gosh, the maquette. The maquette is your ability to put down something on the table. It's not a ZBrush thing. It's not on an iPad. It's a living thing that's sitting on the table. And it says, this is what we want to build for you. That's the number one pur- purpose of a maquette. About 15 years ago, 10 or 15 years ago, uh, Spectral Motion started doing 21-inch tall maquettes. What a wonderful way. Are we okay? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wonderful way to enter the room to see uh, a 20-inch tall figure of what it is we want to build for you. When you do a maquette like this and the director comes to the room and says, this is junk, and he comes over and he says, I hate this, give me a tool, and he starts hacking at it, you won. You have drop dead won because that guy is now designing with you. Yeah, he didn't have to learn ZBrush first. No, uh-uh, uh-uh. But once again, he's already into the design process with you. You need to know what he doesn't like. And if you can then sit down with him and start sculpting with him on the maquette. I did some water base uh, AVP uh, Predator maquettes. These were the first maquettes to have uh, armor. I'm very privileged to be able to claim that 
and uh, the director sat down and, and treated him like paper dolls. I actually had him standing in water, isn't this weird, with pieces of cloth that were torn up, and so he was able to dress them. I engaged him in it. But let me talk about the quality of the maquette. The purpose of the maquette is to say, this is what we want to build with you. I used to see uh, uh, one of my heroes, my big heroes of sculpture, sculpted a creature from a black lagoon about that tall. Most beautiful sculpture I've ever seen, but its eyes are dead. It's actually looking at the tabletop that it's standing on. When you're able to do a maquette, whether the anatomy is great or if it's just a tone piece, whatever it is, if the client can walk in the room and you've figured out the eye line so that the maquette sitting on the table is looking at the person who walks in the room, you did something. You did something. Mm -hmm. The maquette is looking at you with an expression. It's not just the eyes that are looking, is it? It's It's the eyes. It's everything. It's the attitude. And by the way, since you brought it up because it's so wise, a dead straight head like this, I'm holding my head dead straight, just a minor turn, a minor turn with the direction of the eyes on the client walking through the door. My gosh, try to do that, you guys, with your maquettes. Make the maquette look at the expected client to be walking through the door in the future. Give it some attitude. Give it some attitude. Give it an eye line. And um, i got to tell you, back to K&B, oh, back to 13 Ghosts. One of the greatest things I ever saw with maquettes, uh, they gave Norman three characters, they gave me three characters, and the rest weren't very designy characters. But we did uh, quarter-scale, excuse me, half-scale maquettes. And so at, that, at a certain point, uh, the maquettes were being offered to production as proof of concept. This is what we want to build for you. Then they're signed off, so they inform us, the guys that did them, how to do the makeup and what the tone is to be done with the makeup. So the movie's over. Everything's filmed. It's done. Much to his credit, Howard Berger has us uh, run new copies of all the maquettes. Norman and I painted them by hand, and we sent them over to production as thank you gifts for giving us the show. It's PR. Wonderful. So the maquette has different uses throughout uh, Battle Los Angeles. Mike Alizaldi, very talented sculptor, and his employee, who I can't remember right now, sculpted this uh, huge, beautiful maquette. For some reason, Joel Harlow picked up the show. They walk in the room, and here's this maquette. It's a Bible. The director sat with that sculptor for two months, and they worked on it together. Don, reproduce this. Boom. So now I'm calibering every subtle bit doing the most intense reproduction that I can. So you see there's a lot of purposes, a lot of purpose, uh, a lot of uses for the maquette. The most interesting one that I never had seen really uh, before was uh, as a PR tool. Neat stuff. You guys know that the education and teaching classes has taken off for me. And um, I want you to know I've never traveled until a couple of years back. And I, I got to thank Neil Gordon for bringing me out. I uh, discovered London, most beautiful city in the world <laughs> to me. And Neil uh, is, is such a marvelous teacher. Too, oh, he's so. fantastic. He's fantastic, and he and I, um, like I, like a meeting I had when I met Stan Winston's son, Matt Winston, we shared uh, a desire to pack as much as is possible into a DVD to be in service to the artists and really try to improve some lives, as well as sell a DVD, certainly. But uh, Neil Gordon uh, comes to all of it with the idea of education and giving back, and I'm so into that these days. Um, 
I should mention the obvious. Uh, when I don't have a movie, when I don't have a job, I run an ad on Facebook and I have these wonderful kids come to my studio and I'm able to have a joyous week uh, where I give them everything. I cut no corners. I don't prejudge anybody. And I've had a wonderful time with this. I suppose this is turning into a plug here. So let's go with that. Uh, I have the D3 studio in Sherman Oaks. I have an honest business model. We charge you one fee. It's a reasonable fee. You walk out after 40 hours with a 20-inch tall figurine or a full-size head that's ready to be molded uh, for a polyfoam and latex head, an animatronic head, whatever your end user purpose is. This was all born out of seeing and working at the makeup schools. And while I maintain... And it's being taught by you. It's being taught by me personally. And uh, once again, I stand with you the whole time. And in thanks for you, once again, chasing your dream, most of my students have never sculpted before. And they see pictures online of students doing full heads. Um, my school is born out of the idea of a cap of six students. It's me personally with you. And I get to share all of my experience with you. And a lot of things that I used, the mother of invention, things that I needed uh, on the job. And we don't dumb it down. And I have the most amazing catalog of people through my D3 studio and my student page. You go on there and you look, and most of the people have never sculpted before. And my hand is not on there. I do it all through demos. So when they, they look back at their sculpture that they did in my class, it's all them. But once again, the mission statement here is to really do it. Give them value. Not overcharge them or put them into a financing situation to get a class, but really just to give it to them so they walk out with a, with a portfolio piece in a week. Now, enough of that. I'm really plugging myself, but I believe in this because I get very angry when people make money off artists, young artists. It makes me very angry. Those are the people we should be supporting. Those are the people we should really be teaching, giving them the knowledge of the tools, how to use the tools, and on right on down the list. This is the noble thing to do. And i got to tell you, if I was looking at this 10 years ago, I wouldn't help anybody. It's about me. I'm still in the swim of my career. I'm still in the swim of my career now, but I've found the joy of not just giving back, but I've also had a lot of kids get jobs now and uh, go to Monster Palooza and display That's got to be incredibly gratifying. It is. And I actually thought to myself, well, maybe like some other teachers, I would see my... Uh, uh, style, if you will, uh, end up in, in other people's style. I haven't had that. And I'm also proud of that because I try to greet the visiting student at their skill level and I try to give them what's apropos to the sculpture. And it's that's not always about style, you know. Mm -hmm. I've seen people do classes where they do a demonstration, a long demonstration, not so much about teaching as watch me do it. And then you have people adopt their style. Uh, and that's a whole different thing. Not so much with me. And I, I, I worked very hard to have the quietness of nip-tuck and realistic stuff, and then the over-the-top Hanson-y type stuff. But once again, we greet the young student to try to make them strong. So that's something to think about when you're looking at these classes. Also, uh, this dovetails me onto another thing. I've had some issues in the last two or three years. I've never talked about this. To my young sculptors out there, when you're looking at free internships, I want you to look very, very closely at them. 
Free internships are okay. If the display room and the art that's going on gets you pumped up and motivated, okay? But there are people out here, there are people all over the world that have a thirst for free labor. And there's enough people coming into the business because of the excitement of face-off that they can use your free labor and cycle you out. Be very careful. Be very careful. Why, does, why am I bringing this up? This goes into, I'm very angry at anybody capitalizing off the intention of the young artist. So you young art artists out there, I know you want to be involved. I know you want to be around the mechanical head. Do some art. Take some photos. Build a portfolio. Go get a job. Go get a rate. And go to work. I don't know that the free internship concept is the way to go. And there seems to be more of them now, and they dress them up so they look so pretty. Well, there's, there's you be also careful, even, kids. You be careful, kids. There's also an even darker side to that that I've, I have seen. Tell me. Um, paid internships, but it's not mm. that the intern is getting paid. The intern is paying to be an intern. This is part of what I'm talking about. This is part of what I'm talking about. It's heinous. It's heinous. Well, and once again, I'm not trying to police our own industry. I guess irony does that in its own way. And uh, But I think it is responsible for us uh, who are uh, uh, um, trying to put forth an honorable face in education and are trying to supplement their lives very openly. Part of my income comes from teaching. Mm-hmm. Is that the main reason why I do it? Uh, I don't think so. I love the kids. When I'm here, it's a vacation for me. The focus is off of me and on them. But I hear these stories. And once again, I'm not trying to hurt anybody. or I'm not trying to uh, uh, bring anybody's ire. But I like being the one that perhaps could say it because my heart's always been in the right place. And I want you to know out there, if you're taking advantage of the kids that are coming in, you're not a character that I'm real happy with. So, And I want you to know we see you. We see you. And we like money too. But we're not going to betray our own young children coming into the business for our pocketbooks. Okay? So if you feel like it's fun for you to steal the pennies from a dead man's eyes, you should think twice about that. Let's leave these kids with a benefit of an artistic lifestyle and a quality of life. A quality of life is what we're talking about here. So, uh, once again, uh, I don't want to scare you kids, but you look around. Mm -hmm. And when they say to you something uh, to this effect, and it's going to be involving you in a way, just remember Don Lanning, the old man, telling you to take a sculpture, make a sculpture, take a photo, put it in a book, and go negotiate a rate. Once they got you, listen to this, in parentheses, once they got you for free, they don't ever want to pay you. Once they got you for free, they don't ever want to pay you. And I want you to have a good time in art. I don't want you to get your heart broken. I don't want you to say, ooh, that was a bad experience. I don't quite know what happened to me. Gone. I want you to stay. I want you to have the experience that I had. Beautiful. Thank you for letting me talk about that. You bet. Yeah. I think it's probably also worth mentioning there's a lot of people, and I know, when I do sculpt on jobs... I'm not thinking to myself, oh, I'm getting paid, that's why I'm going to come in today. 
I'm doing it because I like it, and I'll often work <laughs> more than I'm paid because I want it to be good. Oh, yeah, so I think it a comes down to always wind up being paid pennies on the dollar because yeah, we want it to be. You want it to be. We good, want but, it to be good, but that's, yeah. so we're going to put in the extra effort. Oh sure. Whether we're getting paid for that extra effort or not. Oh gosh, I'm glad you brought this up. I'm sorry. No, no, I was going to say, but yeah. I wanted to, to to think about that there are people that that would get value out of sculpting even if they never wanted to do this for a living. They sure. just want to be good sculptors. There yeah. are plenty of people that do watercolor paintings or yeah. play chess or scuba dive. They have no interest in them being a diver, right. but they like to dive oh, yeah. because they enjoy the experience of you know right. basically flying under the sea. I would be you know, sculpting. So. Uh, me too. Whether I was getting paid. <laughs> I was, yeah, yeah, for years before I got paid, I was still sculpting, mm-hmm. and uh, years after, I'm not getting paid. I'll sure. You know, I, th- I think well, I started sculpting about the same age you were. Pardon me. I think I sculpted about started sculpting about the yeah. same age you did. Oh yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And my mother's a sculptor, so yeah. you know, I, I, you know, I thought everybody sculpted when they were kids. Yeah, yeah. I used to go around the neighborhood and enlist neighborhood kids. You're my assistant. <laughs> okay. You know, then, we, then we do blood gags. Like, I remember I went through a phase of doing jack makeups, but I also went through a, uh, a deer hunter phase where I would cut the diamond out of the side of a tube and put it in a bandana and put a little piece of material, cut a little piece of material out over the diamond and then attach the tube to like a milk jug filled with, you know, crappy blood. And I'd just wait until, boom, a big current of blood would come shooting out of a bandana. Oh, the many phases we go through. I love it. But, uh, um, yeah, you know what? Uh, what a wonderful business. There's uh, there's a few other things I want to tell you about. I had a few dreams come true. And I'm not boasting, but you got to pinch yourself when these things happen. I'm so thankful. I got to work on Star Trek, in both, uh, both movies, 2009 and Star Trek Beyond, and I just got to work on uh, Lost in Space. These are dreams come true. If I go tomorrow, Lanning had a great time. Planning out a good time. I can't believe I got to work on both of these franchises that I used to obsess on as a little kid. Oh, what a, oh, I had what a such blessing. a crush on Angela Cartwright when I was a kid. Did you? <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. What do you think? The man is just, he's amazing. I mean, he cares so much about this stuff and he cares about the craft of it, but also the, the wider picture of how it sits in. And that stuff about you know, people making money off of artists. I, I think it's a really important thing. There's a lot of people who aspire to be creative, uh, you know, do things creatively and, and to have a creative life and be inspired and do things that fulfill them. And I think there's a lot of people that know that about other people and they, they leverage that to market them or to, to exploit them in some way. So if you're, you know, if you're a creative person, please be aware that there are plenty of people out there who are just going to, you know, manufacture a dream machine and crank out you know, to work you up into a frenzy and, and that, you know, have agencies or fees or clubs or some kind of, you know, financial kind of benefit for them for you to, to keep on wanting to do it. So it's, it's really important to check these things out. If you've got like, you know, agencies or, or, or some kind of like a website or subscription, you can sort of pay towards in order to, to get the skinny on upcoming jobs or anything like that. Be very aware, look into it properly. I'm not saying there aren't good ones out there, but for every good one, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of people that are just looking to exploit you. So it's very important to make sure that you are aware that there are people who know that if you love doing something, that you might be blind to some of the strings that they're pulling on that. And it was really, really good, I think, for Don to, to go into depth. And you can hear the passion in his voice about it. 
and we're all like it you know people that like to make things with their hands and actually create stuff um, it's not a normal thing it's not most people don't do that and so there's a you know there is a contingent of people that know that if you are a creative type and you're inspired and you know you do those kinds of things and you like making stuff that there's a good chance you're not very good at business and they just fully exploit that so um, be smart about it and look into it um, other than that, please do, if you like this show, like I say, please do subscribe. Share it on social media. If you like this episode or you know somebody that would enjoy it, please do let them know because that really helps us out. Um, I really do appreciate you listening. Thank you so much for checking it out. And please come back soon for part two when we carry on talking to Don Lanning at his studio. Thanks very much for listening. As ever, if you want to get in touch with the show, you can email us direct on stuartandtodd at gmail.com and all the information and links should be in the show notes. Thank you.